Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi there, I'm Tim, and welcome back to Sex and Space. Here, continuing to explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. Hope you're all awesome. Such a great interview to share with you today. I spoke with Dr. Melissa Kang, co-author of the Welcome To series of books, here to discuss the latest release, Welcome To Sex. Sit tight, that is coming right up. But first, and talking of books, you can now head on over to sexandspace.com forward slash books and purchase, either as a PDF or a hard copy, not only our first book, The Organ Education Forgot, a little book about the clitoris, but also our brand new book, How to Talk with Your Kids About Porn. We are incredibly proud of this new book. It has been called the most comprehensive and accessible of books based in science on porn out there, which is high praise indeed. It is an epic resource for parents. Go and check it out. There are heaps of other ways you can support us too. Merch over at sexandspace.com forward slash shop. The handle sexandspace.com, that's all one word, sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M, on Insta and TikTok. And hook us up with likes, shares, ratings, and subscriptions wherever you found us. Now to the interview. This is episode 46. I had the privilege of chatting with the lovely Dr. Melissa Kang, renowned in Australia and New Zealand for her iconic Dolly Doctor magazine column, but also a practicing medical doctor for marginalized youth. With academic roles at UTS and the University of Sydney, she's uniquely navigates adolescent sexual health. Dr. Kang with the wonderful Yumi Steins co-authored best-selling books in the Welcome To series, covering vital topics from periods to consent, boobs and sex. Her expertise extends to mainstream media discussions on these supercritical subjects. Let's get into it with Dr. Melissa Kang. Dr. Melissa Kang, hello, welcome to Sex and Space. Hi, Tim. Lovely to have you. Thank you very much for uh, giving us your time today. Um, here to talk about the new book, Welcome to Sex. Um, co-authored with uh, Yumi Steins. Um, brilliant, brilliant book. Um, I have to just say it's had a little bit of a distribution issue here in New Zealand, um, but all hail, just got given unrestricted classification, which means we're off to the races, <laughs> which is great news. <laughs> yep. Yes, I think the the unrestricted category in New Zealand, I, I read some of the adjudication around that and it was so heartwarming. Yeah. I think what I thought was this is just so sensible because I really do think I'm quite a sensible person <laughs> and, and all the books that we've written together and, in fact, my, my work in this area of, of my career, which is providing health information and information for adolescents, has been always very 
well thought through and based very much on the questions and the voices of adolescents themselves. Mm. It's not yeah. something I've dreamed up and thought, I think I need to tell young people about this. It's, it's very much <laughs> been driven by my yeah. own interactions over many years. That's great. Um, the the other books, um, Periods, Boobs, Consent, all brilliant. And um, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the accessibility um, of them. I actually, I did find myself in there as a, as a teenage boy. Um, there's a particular picture of a scrawny kind of angsty looking idiot with a sort of unshaven top lip I was like there I am it's perfect <laughs> but that's that's really great um really nice but um and my daughter as well who's eight um Hi. when we got the uh the boobs one and the periods one she's an avid digester of of books and um we, we just left them out and we're just like have a look at those if you've got any questions you know or anything just like let us know and so she she had a leaf through and um i think she feels she feels better for it uh you know not scared you know of, mm. of having those conversations which is really really great yeah look tim you've actually just beautifully captured exactly the intent of these books mm-hmm. it's for i think we always envisaged parents would buy them parents would vet them mm-hmm. and then hand them over to their children or leave them in slightly hidden places where ad- young adolescents might go looking yeah, yeah. and and then be able to start conversations mm. with them. That, that really is how I think we'd always intended the book to be, the books to be, to be consumed, to be mm. used. As opposed to the sit down and we're going to, talk about this now kind of approach well uh, there's a lot to talk about isn't there I mean that's <laughs> that's the whole thing about uh, sex and health education and relationships mm. education is that it, it doesn't just happen in one lesson mm. and that's why universally globally you know international best practice guidelines around sex and relationships education is that it needs to be from really from the from the start of from birth or but certainly mm. from the start of formal schooling yeah until the end it, yeah. it's not and you build on you build on concepts you build on self-awareness you you speak to what a child and adolescent's development is ready for mm. yeah so i think the books are not able to be all absorbed in one sitting some I, I have met some young people who said they read the whole thing cover to cover in one go but they will dip back in and out of it over over time to come, I've also seen young adults in their early 20s reading through the book going, wow, I never knew this. I've, I've oh, heard yeah. from much older people. I didn't know this. So yeah. I think it's just such a, you know, I guess taboo topics that in the past at least and, and perhaps unfortunately still today that people are learning things that they perhaps didn't know and would have liked to have known when they were younger. Mm. Yeah, well, that's that was going to be my question. So... Why sex and and why now? I mean, it is it's a it's an obvious continuation from the the books you've already written, but but you're absolutely right in its in its breadth. Um, yeah, yeah, big big subject to cover. Yeah, look to answer that question, I might indulge myself in giving a little bit of background mm. to 
this part of my career. I am a medical doctor trained in general practice and my my career ambition was always to be a doctor with adolescents and young adults and I've had the privilege of really doing that my whole career. So I work part-time as a doctor delivering medical care. But I moved into academia over 20 years ago and really most of my day job is research and mm. teaching as an academic. But along the way, completely serendipitously, I had the opportunity and seized it, I must say, to become the medical consultant behind the, the Agony Aunt column in Australia's and New Zealand's, I think, very popular magazine, Dolly, yeah. which was around when I was a child, an adolescent, but I took up the helm of, of consulting to the magazine in 1993 and really hung on to that role because I absolutely loved it and it opened my eyes to really what particularly young adolescent girls were desperate to know about and it really resonated with me. I remember having those exact same worries and thoughts and anxieties and so did my peer group and perhaps groups of, of girls would talk about these things but you would never talk about them outside of your very close trusted peer group or certainly never to a parent. So that's the backstory. Yep. And I really wanted to write a book about sex for adolescents probably back in the late 1990s after I'd been writing for the column only for a few years because I thought, wow, there are so many questions about sex. And when I say sex, I don't mean having sex with another person. I'm talking about puberty, new sensations in the body, Mm. sexual arousal, masturbation, attraction, crushes, romance, sexual fantasies, dreams, wet dreams, all these sorts of things which teenagers are writing into the magazine about all the time. And I felt like the magazine couldn't, I couldn't in 150 or 200 words in an answer answer these questions. So I thought a book back then would have been good. Obviously, that well, that didn't happen back then. And fast forward, I think it's a much more urgent need now because the internet is both wonderful and also terrible because there is so much information out there Mm. and, and it is where young people turn to for their information. But it's very hard to filter through it and find exactly what you're looking for. Mm. So it, it seemed in some ways a bit strange to be actually wanting to write books when we don't really know if we didn't really know if adolescents would read these books. But, of course, we've been, we've, we've been shown that there's a great hunger for this knowledge and the books have pretty much all done really well. Yeah. So that's the story behind it. It, it really was speaking to 23 years of me answering questions to the magazine that mostly came from girls, but there were some from boys as well. And, of course, to keep it, to update our knowledge and to keep it contemporary, we interviewed a lot of young people as well, as well as their parents and Mm. other experts. And so, I mean, I suppose in in that time at the magazine, you would have seen a few trends, I should imagine, Um, because, you know, within that time, you'd have been witness to the birth of the internet and the accessibility of the right information, the wrong information, all that stuff as well. Did that... Well, well, yes and no. So I think for me, again, another motivation or 
that, that made me think that this information still needs to be out there is that in many ways things didn't change over that time despite the rise of the internet. What I think we all can relate to probably is what it was like at that time of our lives. Oh, Perhaps yeah. try to forget it. But when your body's changing so drastically and when you're having these new emotional and physical sensations, I suppose, and how wonderful and terrifying that can be simultaneously, I don't think that changed. That didn't really change. So there was the same sort of agonising and angsting and self-consciousness and desperation that came through in the the way these letters were constructed, the, the text and the, you know, the, the way the writers would sign off, you know, please help me, I'm desperate, I can't talk to anyone. Oh. That that overriding sort of sentiment didn't really change. Mm. Sometimes I think the content changed a little but not that much. So what I noticed over 23 years, and I think this very much spoke to the accessibility to online pornography, was more attention and more questions about particularly female genitals. So we know, for example, that online pornography shows uh, no pubic hair Mm -hmm. in women. And so there would be from zero questions in the first perhaps 10 years of of my tenure to an increasing number of questions about the removal of pubic hair. And then alongside that, questions about genital asymmetry, lots of questions about my vaginal lips, which is slightly incorrect anatomically, but my vaginal lips are not the same or or they're poking out, these sorts of questions. So a lot more attention being paid to the appearance of genitals, not just that though, but how that could potentially be a turnoff or a disaster for this young adolescent girl's sex life in the future. So these kinds of body image concerns, genital image concerns, were the really the only significant trend that I saw. Yeah. There, there was certainly an increase in questions about mental health issues, and we know that we've seen a gradual and keep, continues to increase the prevalence of mental health problems in young people, so yeah. depression and anxiety. So there was certainly more of that. Yeah. But in terms of that basic part of one's development, puberty, romance, crushes, sexual feelings and attractions, that really was very consistent over time. Really interesting. I guess I've been, I was going to ask about the book and the complimentary, if if there is one at all, um, sort of job that it does with a formal sex education. But I mean, Mm. it seems to me like a lot of that stuff that you're talking about, that doesn't get covered in, Mm. in any formal sex ed yes if we think about child and adolescent development and where they learn stuff about themselves and the world around them we know that the most influential people are parents caregivers immediate adults in their lives and really from a very young age learning about attitudes not really recognizing them as such but attitudes and and emotions and emotional intelligence and being respectful and being kind, that all really does start in the home. What formal school education does, though, and has a mandate to do, obviously, is to teach our children all sorts of things, including knowledge, 
problem solving. But there is also a very clear and strong place for school-based education to teach important societal issues like respect. Mm. So we've seen, for example, a lot of investment in things like anti-racism teaching and anti-racism policies and anti-bullying policies and interventions in schools. These things are not so much content-based. They're about teaching attitudes, communication and respect. So sex education includes a whole lot of important information about one's body. I mean, children learn about the digestive tract or how the heart and lungs work. So why shouldn't they also learn about their genitals and about their emotions? And these are things that are now, there's a lot of evidence behind all of this. So my view, and, and not just mine, many, many, many of my colleagues around the world involved in sexuality education believe this to be an absolute human right of all children to learn about sex and relationships and what their bodies can and can't do and mm. their, and consent and all those important things. So, so school-based education has a really important place in, in education and teaching children knowledge but also shaping attitudes, teaching tolerance, respect, diversity and all those important things. So a book like Welcome to Sex welcome to consent, welcome to your period and welcome to your boobs is a, is a complement really yep. to, to formal sex education. So that's one answer to your question. The other is that we know from research in lots of places, but certainly I'm more familiar with Australian research, that teachers enter the workforce not very well prepared to deliver this kind of education. Right, yeah. And that's due to a lot of factors. One is one is simply a crowded curriculum. Mm. When you're when you're a pre-service teacher going to university, there is so much you need to learn and sometimes something like sex education is considered a bit optional, a little bit peripheral. It's more important, you know, that you learn how to teach English, literacy, numeracy, all those kinds of things. So that's part of the reason. But the other part is about the way how uncomfortable society at large is around talking about sex, even between adults, you know, let alone to children and and young people. So teachers have, and I think a reasonable concern about backlash, about, um, Mm. you know, about and just their own comfort. As a medical doctor, I have over my career also taught medical students and practicing doctors about sexual health, about taking a sexual history, which is something that certainly research tells us people going to see a doctor are comfortable with their doctor asking them this information. They feel that is an appropriate thing to do at least. And yet there is also some hesitation and reservation and discomfort even in the medical profession. So we are as a society generally uncomfortable talking about sex. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it's it's even interesting, you know, mm. I thought I would get better at it doing this podcast, but when my kids my kids, you know, I'm just like, "Oh, what's the right answer?" Can yeah. I just say, you know, real real disclosure here. I I'm the I have four children who are all adults now. And I trained in this stuff. I was writing for Dolly magazine when they were not all born yet, um, yeah. so but but some of them were, and so they were very young, and I knew it all. 
I was very good at giving advice to patients and on paper, but it's difficult as a parent. It is difficult. And so one of the things we hope the books achieve is to actually help parents have start those conversations as well. Mm. It is a book dedi- you know, directed at adolescents and young people, but we also think it's a great resource for parents and carers and teachers as well. Yeah. No, I think it's um I think it's exactly that. I mean it it you know, definitely presented me with some some new information, but I think one of the struggles that you probably have as a parent is maybe second guessing whether your information is is actually correct, but also what knock on effects it might it might have or something. So, yeah, frameworks around those conversations are helpful. Uh, yeah, yeah. The um, the type of sort of the, the way the way this book gets used, um, sort of amongst peers as well, I think could be really interesting. I'm sort of harking back to my youth um, yeah. a little bit, and obviously, as you said, a lot gets shaped by you know, the majority, the, the, the majority of your sort of who you are get, get shaped by your parents. But, um, that peer influence mm. I found quite mm. strong. And when I sort of look back and un- unpack it, but, um, I imagine a book like this, or at least this information, um, would do well to counter some of the misinformation. Very much so. Yeah. And, and again, Australian national research of high school students told us that adolescents, those in high school, and I think this was perhaps the, the latter part of high school years 10, 11 and 12 in Australia, which are the last three years of high school, so maybe aged 15 and up. But they would say that their peer group was one of the most common sources of information about sex. Yep. And that's that's kind of normal. Mm. That's what you talk to your friends about. Yeah. But it was also not the most trusted by a long way. Yeah. So and the, you know the 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 sources of information now that young people have are unimaginable to me. I can't yeah I can't we can't keep up with TikTok and Instagram and um, other things in social media. And of course we know that young people are coming across online pornography from a very young age. The, the median age, I think, for Australian boys is 11 years old mm-hmm. and for girls, 13. So from a very young age, they're seeing these images that they probably a lot of them can't fully understand given where they'd like more like most likely be in their development and their pubertal development. So we hope that, you know, the book is, again, it is counter to some of that. There, mm-hmm. there is, you know... There are certainly people trying to do good things and provide good information on social media and on the internet, but it's so hard to know as as adults and parents how to keep up with that. Mm. And I think adolescents are quite good at they're quite discerning. They they they, they do sort of know when something is just obvious. I won't use a swear word. Rubbish. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but nevertheless, there are some. There are quite a lot of myths out there. I mean, I see patients, for example, in my clinic where perhaps these are probably more likely to be young adults or close to young adults wanting information about something like contraception. And I will ask what they know and what they've heard. And and occasionally there'll be some real 
complete myths in there, yeah. complete yeah. untruths, and and they will have seen it on what they assume to have been a reasonably credible source. So, um, you know, I think we we just we just don't know, and all we can do is, I think, encourage our children and our young people to try and find the right information. They might need to do that with the help of a parent or a health professional or a teacher. Yeah. yeah. That is very different to my own adolescence when there was no such thing as the internet and, you know, there weren't any books either, mind you. Yeah. So, um, so I, think, I think helping our children find sources of information is that are that are credible and that mm. make sense are re- is really important yeah it yeah. seems to be um a bit of a i guess a an approach taken by some some very intelligent people we talked to um cindy gallup um mm. of who started make love not porn and one mm. of one of her things is essentially you know you don't want to shame people for porn mm. and it really isn't going anywhere. And That's right. So it's always been around. It's been around for a very long time. It's always been around. I mean, sure, it's proliferated and it's it's culturally shifting and it's it's affecting um, stuff in, in wider culture, broader culture and stuff like that. But the only way really to kind of counter that is, is with education and, and information. Um, you know some of those knock-on effects because yeah it's not going anywhere so that's that's why I think books like this are so important um, particularly when you hear ages like 11 and, and 13 and stuff like that being um, banded around because if if that's true like there's there's no knowing what they're seeing at that age and there's no knowing what that's doing, really. Mm. I mean, it could be very damaging, uh, yeah. frightening, you know, uh, mm. as well. I guess I wanted to ask about some of the pushback mm. that um, this latest book, anyway, um, yeah. I'm not sure about the others and how much how much pushback they got. But this, no, there this, wasn't, yeah. This latest one, um, because it's, it strikes me that, that the alternative is to say nothing um, and that doesn't seem that doesn't seem really to address the elephant in the room which is that yeah. you know oh my 11 year old and my 13 year old uh, have seen pornography so yeah. just just tell talk me through that sure. that process of pushback and you know some of the arguments yeah. that were thrown at it yeah so as i said i i'd always wanted i had this idea that i'd like to write a book about sex even back in the late 1990s, before the you know the big rise of the internet and certainly before mm. social media, that, that didn't eventuate. There is a sense of urgency now, though, for a number of reasons. The questions haven't changed, as I said, that the sort of what what they're thirsting for, they're hungry for the knowledge about hasn't hasn't changed. But the pushback, it probably would have happened no matter when a book mm. like this was written, if you look over history, you know, controversial films and books and, um, you know, that have been banned over the years, um, that, that they've always existed. I yeah. think we've always been uncomfortable with certain things in society and, and sex is one of them and certainly 
teaching children and adolescents about sex has always had a little bit of taboo around it. I think, though, that the pushback, I, I, I you know, I, we're not stupid. I think we thought, yep, there will, this is potentially pushing, going to push some boundaries for people. I think I didn't expect the degree of vilification that Yumi and I received, particularly Yumi because she's a media presence and, mm. and very active on, on social media, which I'm not at all. But we both received all sorts of things, um, yeah. uh, including all sorts of threats. So I think that really just speaks to what social media enables, really, that, mm. that it's it's easier for people to express a view in a very forceful and, and aggressive way that perhaps would not have happened 15, 20 years ago. I, I don't know. This is really the first time that um, something like this has happened to me. Yeah. So it was it was very it was very distressing and awful for a period of time. And but I think in some ways the the support and the rallying around this book mm. by all sorts of people. Um, including parents, including young people. I had some of the loveliest messages from young people and parents and strangers and academics, uh, as well as my, my known network of colleagues who work in this area and felt that, you know, that this was, this was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I also absolutely believe in what young people, you know, at, Giving, giving correct, accurate, evidence-based answers to the questions young people have. None of the, the, the most controversial part of the book was about 20 pages out of 300, yep. and that was directly answering questions that I have received as a doctor over my career about sex. They were not made up. In fact, there were probably some topics I didn't want to talk about because they were very fringe and, and and very sort of infrequent. So what what's in the book are the frequently asked questions yeah. essentially. Yeah. And and so therefore we were describing sexual practices and that that's what a lot of people took offense to, saying yeah. that this was sexualizing children. I think that's a real misuse of the word uh, sexualizing children. Um, other other terms well I, yeah, I don't think I want to go into all of that no. but but there was a real misunderstanding of what information around sex and relationships you know how empowering that is and how important that is particularly in this day and age I think yeah I think the other part of it was that uh, with, with the me too movement and consent education and you may be you may be aware in Australia back back in early 2020 there was um, a lot of a lot of I guess you know young women coming forward um, with stories and so that there's been a big conversation uh, in Australia around consent education such that there is now a 
mandatory consent education policy that the, the, the federal government has implemented or is implementing. And that's wonderful. I think that's, you know, that's well overdue. But what we don't want to see happen is for teaching consent to just be about this is what consent is, this is what it isn't, and so this is how you do it. Right. <laughs> without a context around it, without young people also learning about what's happening to their bodies, why they're even thinking going down the consent path at all, yeah. is because of what is been part of humanity since the beginning of humanity. Adolescence, the second decade of life, is when most people in the world, nearly everyone in the world, has their first partnered sexual experience, certainly has their first sensations of sexual arousal, if that, and there are people who don't have those experiences, but for the majority of humanity, it is in this second decade of life. And the cultural and social context in which that occurs has varied. It varies today in different countries, in different cultures. But essentially, this is absolutely uh, extremely common in humanity. So to talk about consent without contextualising it as part of natural development for most humans, there's variations, there's diversity. Um, it's really important to, you know, to respect and understand all of that. But that's why talking about sex and pleasure and communication about sex and pleasure is so important because without that teaching consent is a little bit dry it sort of just sits in this sort of well okay but so what yeah. um, potentially that's the risk and i think that's what again my network of colleagues who are very devoted spent their careers devoted to sex and consent education we have always believed yeah that, that, uh, it's it's great that the consent conversation has has really jettisoned this whole conversation around sex education um, and we need to make sure that it is comprehensive. Yeah. When, when we're talking about consent education, we're really needing to talk about comprehensive relationships and sexuality education. Absolutely. Because, yeah, it's it's communication, isn't it? It's pleasure. That's, right. it's, That's it's, what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Self-awareness and then, you know, awareness of others and mm. communicating with others. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I do find it interesting that you know to even touch on on those subjects in the in the frequently asked questions um or sex anal sex whatever whatever it might be i would rather that my children read a book like this as opposed to were bluetoothed um you know stepdad yeah. porn on the school bus or something like that which i know you sort of talked about how this has been fairly consistent. A lot of the, F- the FAQs have been, yeah. you know, very similar since since the yeah. 90s. But but that now for me, as a parent with young kids, seems like that that's the alternative of not talking about it. Mm. That that is pretty much yeah. what will what will happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't I don't really understand. I try to empathise with the with the the people that would have pushed back but it, it seems like they just got confused about the reality what you're trying yeah, to and, do and what i what i say to parents and carers is that our children absorb their values and their worldviews from us you know uh, predominantly yep. and then as they grow up they 
start to see the world independently or, you know, through through lots of different lenses based on their peers and perhaps their, their colleagues. And that's what we've all gone through in life, you know. And so if a parent or parents have tried to um, bring into their family and amongst their children certain values around sex and relationships and say something like marriage, for example, then that a book like this is not going to is not going to disrupt or change that. It's I think that's the fear parents have, and I understand that. Mm. I understand that you think, oh my goodness, you know, I don't I don't do these things or I don't believe in these things or these things make me uncomfortable in terms of my own cultural and religious beliefs, for example. That doesn't mean we don't and shouldn't be learning about you know, everybody, mm. all of humanity. And I think that's, I understand that fear, but I think it's, again, slightly misplaced. Mm. It, it's thinking that something, information is going to change behaviour and all the evidence points to the absolute opposite. Yeah. The more informed young people are about sex and consent and respect and feeling ready, and the book very much looks at how do you know when you're ready because that was a very common Dolly Doctor question as well. I, I think, you know, if if children, yeah, all of the evidence says that having more information actually improves readiness and delays the onset of partnered sexual behaviour. Mm. So it, it's just about shifting that understanding and this fear that if, you know, if we let them know too much, it will be, um, it, it will be a disaster that, that does not, there is no proof of that at all. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say in today's world is that if I typed a question that I was answering in the magazine into Google now, I wouldn't want to see where that took me um, on the internet. These questions are very explicit. Mm. You know, how do you do such and such? I, I want to know what this is. My you know, my boyfriend asked me to do this to him. Yeah. What does that mean? How do I do that? Um, now, there's all sorts of things packed into a question like that around power and gender and consent. And and so this book really unpacks um, all of that, as well as, you know, answering the question about what this sexual practice actually means, because that's what they're being asked to do. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, that's what they're hearing about. And I, I'd much rather... They didn't Google that question <laughs> into, you know, on the internet. I yeah. mean, they will, and that's yeah. fine. But you know, to have something to counter um, some of the other stuff they might go to. Not that it's bad and terrible. I mean, some of it is, but it's it's giving a very narrow view of what sex is to yeah. young people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that for me, and I know this is just a, a personal anecdote, but the the part in the welcome to sex book about the partners so you know again it's great communication stuff is covered in there i think as a dad that's my biggest fear is not my kids because i've kind of got a little bit of control over them maybe but their partners i'm just like oh no um and so i think my takeaway from that is that yeah there's there's certain things that you perhaps wouldn't won't or wouldn't like to read or think about that the books actually make you think about and you know 
can can put you at ease or not a little bit but it's that's that for me was was an interesting light bulb moment i was like yeah i really didn't want to think about that but yeah that's <laughs> but it's that's probably it. probably best that yeah. i do yeah 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 i mean i think there's a section in the book about parents and their role in all of this and and this came from interviews i had with parents as well but also sometimes some of the questions young people have asked but around how you know, the second decade of life is this is this incredibly dynamic um, time of, of a young person's development where you do end up at the end of that second decade being allowed to sort of make your own decisions really. Mm. But somewhere along there your parents still really, you know, should be helping or making those decisions with you or sometimes for you. And so when it comes to early relationships, romantic relationships, going out on dates, and then a bit when they're a bit older, potentially being in a relationship and where the parents allow the partner to sleep over and, and these kinds of things. We we touch on that in the book as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, you know, it is different for every parent and family. And some will say no, not at all. Um, not till you're 18 or not till you finish school. And some will have some limited, you know, allow some limited yeah. um yeah, access to privacy in the home. I think most parents today say that they would rather um, that their child, as long as they feel that they're ready and it's all consensual, are uh, you know engaging in 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 a sexual relationship of, of of some sort with their partners in in the home rather than in a car things yeah. like that. So you know, so I think um, it is very much you know to. To get parents to think about, well, what am I comfortable with and, and what are my rules? And I do think that it's important for parents to have, to, to, to put in the boundaries in their own home. Mm. So when I, you know, just again, a bit of self-disclosure, when my children were in high school, adolescence, um, I had very clear boundaries around what I wouldn't allow in the home. And there would be parents who would have seen me as a little bit conservative um, or a little bit, you know, restrictive. Yeah. Um, for me, it was more about the home being my private space as well. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and it wasn't just, you know, a free for all for anyone to come and go. Even when they were, you know, in their 20s, um, yeah. I said, no, you know, that, uh, the house is my private space. I don't have anywhere to go. I want, these are my rules. Um, and we can negotiate them up to a point. So I think that's you know that's important for parents to think about as well. Absolutely, yeah. So the book, the, all the books, as far as I know, super accessible now, particularly in New Zealand. Um, Great. Now, now we're up. We're off and running, off to the races. So yeah, what? Um, what else have you got coming up? What's the next book? What's the next thing? A bit of a pause or? A, a, a bit of a pause. We, we, th- there will be. There There'll will be more. Be more books. That's as, probably as much as I can say, but it'll, yeah. it'll be a little while. But, yeah. yes, we are working on. Um, Brilliant. On some next books. And, and partly based on feedback requests yes brilliant well i imagine you've got a whole back catalogue of questions (laughs) still from you know the the mid 90s (laughs) yeah yeah 
Did you ever um, have a chance to loop back with any of the people who had written in to Dolly? Well, what's been interesting is that uh, only recently, yes, I mean, they're anonymous, the great yeah. majority are anonymous, but I've had two or three people perhaps say to me, I wrote, you know, I wrote to Dolly and I think uh, I, I've used some of the letters in lectures I've given yeah. to illustrate, you know, talk really talking about health promotion and education and, and media and in back in the day magazines as a source of that. Um, and, and yeah, I have had people say, oh, you know, I wrote a letter like that or um, that could have been my letter. So yeah. I would like to, um, I would like to, be able to connect with people who have who wrote into the magazine either before my time or during that tenure just to ask how they would reflect on that now you yeah. know, there'd be people in their 30s 40s 50s um so i think or, or 60s even actually because this magazine started in 1970 so wow yeah okay yeah yeah so I, I would i'd really love to that will be my next one day when i have time i'd really like to sort of put some feelers out there yeah yeah um, that would be amazing to see how how what what you know impacts it had i mean Mm. as a sort of you know temperature test survey whatever i suppose that anonymity uh aspect of it is is quite interesting and you know what what at what stage are people motivated and do they take there's a line which they obviously cross to be like i am going to write To Dolly Doctor, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah. find out if my yeah. labia yeah. is, you yeah, know. exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. And and what is, is there a difference between those who picked up a pen and paper and went to a post office and you know mailed it? Yeah, is there a difference between those teenagers and and those who had the question but didn't ask? I I was too afraid to ever send mm. a question into Dolly Doctor, for example. Um, but I had the same sorts of you know, concerns and desperation. Yeah. 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 But you know, that's, that's the other thing. Um, Kath, there's a a lady who runs a thing called sex ed rescue who we've had on the podcast. Um, and one of her, her things is amazing Facebook group. So again, it's about, about parents, um, or for, sorry, it's a resource for parents and, you know, to talk to their kids about, about numerous things. Yeah. And you wade through this Facebook group and it's, I don't know, 160,000 uh, members, I think. And I haven't needed to ask any questions mm. myself because they're all, they're all there. Yeah, the they're amount all there, of, exactly. To the amount of yeah. people that are like, yeah, exactly. how do I talk to my 70-year-old? I'm like, yeah. okay, perfect. Yeah. You yeah. know, so, yeah. yeah um, it's great. It's great to... Uh, just kind of scratch the surface with this stuff. My my own personal thing and our thing at Sex and Space is that you know, sex education it doesn't have like a start and a stop. It's like that's right, that's right. whoosh, you it's know, lifelong just, just lifelong keeps going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely keeps going. That was good. All right, thank you heaps for your time. Um, we're all off to enjoy the book now in New Zealand, hopefully. And um, thank yeah. you so much. It's it's been delightful talking to you. Thank you. And yeah, thank you. For- yeah, thank you for your interest in, in the topic and the books and as a parent, you know. Your, so yeah. It's so relevant. It's so mm. important. Yeah, keep up the good work. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you.
Really hope you enjoyed that one. Be sure to check out all the great books in the Welcome To series, available in all good bookstores. Before we sign off, we want to remind you to please, please check out our books, available at sexandspace.com forward slash books to download or buy. Don't forget to leave us a like, follow, comment or review wherever you're tuning in from. Your support is our world. Until next time, safe travels and see you on the next episode.